On this prequel episode, we've got our Twilight fan poll follow-up, we're learning about James Baldwin, and previewing If Beale Street Could Talk. Hello and welcome back to this film's like podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a prequel episode. Uh, if you're joining us for the run of the Twilight series and you want to hear the uh, our prequel episode follow-up to the Twilight episode, you're in the right spot. Because we got a lot of fan reaction on this one. Lots of comments, people sharing their opinions and their feelings. But first, we have to do uh, what we do every week on the prequel episode first, which is recognize our patrons. We have one new patron since our um, last prequel episode. They are a Hugo Award winner, which I believe is our $5 level. Yes, $5 level. Which gets access to bonus content as well as early access and ad-free and blah, 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 that sort of stuff. That person is Trash Rat. I love your name, Trash Rat. <laughs> Thank you, Trash Rat, for supporting us at the Hugo Award winning level. Uh it's your shout out and uh, great name, Trash Rat. Great name. All right. And then every week we recognize our Academy Award winners, our $15 patrons, the the best of the very best. And they are Eli Young's Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, Mr. Nobody, I'm Glad Twilight Didn't Ruin K-Stew, and Alina Dolet-Kolova. I, you're right. She's gone on to do more things. Yeah, she I has. I haven't seen her in much, but I, I know she's and in some successful, like, critically mm-hmm. successful things. That, that'll be an interesting thing. I'd be interested to see, because I literally think I've only seen her in a Twilight film. I never watched Adventureland, which is, like, maybe the most well-known of her other movies. Maybe bigger, like, I don't know. There are some other ones more recently, but yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever seen her in another film now that I think about it. I've seen Panic Room. Oh, she was in Panic yeah. Room. I don't think I've seen Panic Room, actually. Is that the one with Jared Leto? I don't know. There's a movie about a Panic Room or something like that with Jared Leto. I don't know it's if been it's a, I, I, I've been a long time since I saw that. Yeah. Is that Jodie Foster? Yeah, it's Jodie Foster I think and that Kristen is, Stewart. I think like Jared Leto's one of the bad guys in that movie. I could not tell you. I think. I could be wrong. I could be thinking of a similar but slightly different film. Anyways, uh, I haven't I haven't seen that one. Um, and I also have seen um, Snow White and the Huntsman. I have not seen Which that I thought was okay. What does she play in that? She's Snow White. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. But that one has um, Charlize Theron as yeah. the Wicked Queen. Yeah. Best part of the movie, yeah. obviously. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm aware of the film, but I'd never seen it either. I'll have to, I'll have to, we'll have to find one that's based on a book and do it. For, do a, a post-Twilight Kristen Stewart film. See, uh, Maybe we can find one that's like critically acclaimed and see how that mm-hmm. goes. That'd be interesting. All right. Those are our Academy Award winning patrons. Thank you, everybody who supports us. Let's go ahead and do our fan poll follow-up for Twilight. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So we did get a good bit of fan feedback this time, which yeah. is great. We which love we, that. We love that, and we were to be expected. Um, Not a whole ton of like actual yeah. votes. We got as but many got, comments as we got votes, I think. Yeah, so we like. got quite a few comments. So on Facebook, we had a total of six votes. Five of them were for the book. There was one lone movie vote interesting and we had a few comments um kristen said they're both pretty cringy 
but you're probably right that the book is better because maybe it's less cringy than seeing it all play out in front of your eyes. That's, yeah. Which we talked a little bit yeah. about. Like, there were some things that we felt Elements were, of it. Yeah, maybe better left to the imagination. Yeah. Elements of the powers and that sort of thing that yeah. definitely you can imagine in a way that isn't as silly as sometimes it can look in the film. So. Yeah. And Simon said... The movie, Simon says, because it takes less time. There you go. Very succinct argument it for does the film take, from Simon. It does Simon. take significantly less time because these are not particularly short books. No, they're so, not. Uh, they take a little bit of time to read. They're not hard to read, but they do take a little bit of time to read. So, yeah, just so. by sheer volume. Yeah, there you go. All right, how about on Twitter? On Twitter, we had a total of ten votes. Mm-hmm. Seven of them were for the book, and right. three for the movie. And we had a lot of comments yes. on Twitter. Lots of Twitter. Uh, at April Edmansky, who has been on the show mm-hmm. with us before, she uh, was on the Holes episode. Yes, uh, she's host, co- one of the co-hosts of No Such Thing as a Bad Movie podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, April said, "The book wins for me because I was really surprised how much I liked it. I came to the series later. I was about twenty-three, and I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. It is a bit of a guilty pleasure, and I do have many issues with the writing, but after the first book, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty good." assessment yeah. like the writing's not great nope. but there's something about the story I, that pulls you in i think i mentioned it maybe i didn't ever go into it but I, I reading the first book i definitely had the experience of i can i get it like it didn't not make sense to me like why yeah. do people like this and i and even i like enjoyed it like i didn't hate reading it you know, like, even mm-hmm. somebody who's not remotely the target demographic i still like that oh, was fine like yeah, you're pretty far out of the target yeah. demographic. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm, like, entirely out. I mean, yeah, I'm fairly far out. I, in the sense that, I mean, like, I do at least tick the box of I like YA and I like fantasy. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, you know, I'm at least a little bit in the... But regardless, yeah, I I, I, I I, thought it was fine. Like, and I get why people would be into it, so... At Ray62 said, I think the book captures the intensity of being a teenager and specifically a first romantic relationship. The idea of framing this as human slash monster or prey slash predator is a great idea that I think works better as a literary exercise. Mm. Which, when we talked a little bit about yeah. some of that stuff, too. Yeah. I also think it works better, it would work better... Maybe with a little more, with a potentially different motivating slant mm-hmm. uh, by the author. If the author was trying to say something different than what it feels like Stephanie Meyer's trying to say <laughs> about that, that the nature of that relationship, yeah. that sort of playing on the prey-predator dynamic in a relationship, I think could be done in a way that has some interesting commentary that isn't just like... Oh, I think there are probably a lot of and problematic. more interesting ways that you could yeah. take that idea. And I'm sure it's been done a million times yeah. over in other books and in fanfic and all kinds of things. I'm sure there's tons of, like, good... That's the thing I'd be really... I bet Twilight fanfic is, like, the best fanfic because the original <laughs> stuff is, like, not super amazing. <laughs> So like it's you know what I mean you're not but it's a, like a fun world to play yeah in. it's like a yeah. fun world to mess around and then there's interesting dynamics set up and that sort of thing that I think that if a good fanfic writers could it potentially write could elevate the me the uh, the stories of Twilight to something beyond what they I will say I have not read I have not read any fic in a long time I definitely haven't read any Twilight fic in a long time but there is a lot of good stuff out there yeah I'm sure there is yeah. 
at Dragonborn2008 said... Big Skyrim fan. <laughs> fan. Son of Skyrim. Said, ah, fuck it. Book wins. Even though the plot doesn't begin until like halfway through the book, I actually kind of enjoyed it. I mean, it's definitely better than Fifty Shades. It's definitely a guilty pleasure, and I guess we get to explore more of Bella's world in the book. Alright. Um, at Standby for Live... Um, Kelly Napier or Napier mm-hmm. um, said because literary chemistry between characters is almost always better than on-screen chemistry. So they were voting for the book. Yes, I would disagree with that, but I don't know if it's always. Well, she did, she did say almost always. I, uh, even even saying almost always, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think the nature of what they're arguing, I can agree with, is that potentially you could make the argument that in your head the chemistry you create for these characters right well the chemistry that you create on your own i think like similar to how some of the like powers are better left to the imagination i think you can always create for yourself really good chemistry yeah but in film it kind of depends more on the actors the actual chemistry so i I see the argument yeah yeah i can i can see the argument i just don't know if i necessarily agree that it's almost always i would Eh, maybe and i i mean i do think that when you like hit that magic point of like two actors that really fire off of each other well yeah it's amazing yeah 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 I, yeah i'm maybe not that's like it. i'm not sure that happened with twilight no but... <laughs> i wouldn't say it did i don't think they have terrible chemistry but i don't think they have great chemistry yeah. either right no um we had a comment from scarface hey um, at Scarface9876. No. A very serious comment. A very serious comment. <laughs> Scarface said, I'm sorry, but the film is the superior victor here. The acting is superb, the storyline is flawless, and the interactions at times felt like I was watching real people through a window. Clearly, the movie is the go to source for art. True. Not always the best at recognizing sarcasm. <laughs> But I think this one was sarcasm. Nope. I don't think so. I think <laughs> this is true. T-R-U, all caps. Um, so we had a lot of comments backing the book. And then we have Shelby. Yeah. Who went to bat for the movie. For sure. That, that, that was interesting. Um, Shelby said, This is a story about Bella and Edward's relationship. And if I have to choose which is better... I have to give it to the movie because the power dynamic of their relationship is less lopsided, and I feel like the movie respects Bella more than the book does. She gave two examples. Um, She said, I agree it's better that Bella comes up with the plan to evade James in the book, but it was such a relief watching the movie that when Bella insists on saving Charlie, we just cut to Edward playing along to fool him instead of this prolonged scene where Bella has to bargain with Edward for her dad's life, which I don't think we talked about that difference, but yeah, that's a good cut Mm -hmm. um, from book to movie. Um, She also said, the book establishes that Bella has agreed to go to the prom with Edward instead of the book where she's made it clear she doesn't want to go, but he drags her there anyway because it's important to him that she go and screw whatever she wants, which is also a really good point. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, Shelby also said, watching the movie again, I was pleasantly surprised how much I enjoyed the supporting cast and the little details. The whole subplot with the other vampires and the fight at the end was far more entertaining than the book's ending. And I would agree with well, yeah, that Yeah, we. I think we well. both agree yeah. with that uh, in the episode and mentioned that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would agree overall. I think in general, at least in terms of the power dynamic, 
I think we did mention that it is maybe didn't say it explicitly, but we alluded to the idea that there's some that it's slightly less problematic in the film. Mm-hmm. The some of the the the, the 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 dynamic of their relationship is slightly less lopsided, but at the same time, in my opinion, and we I don't want to rehash it, but I, the thing that doesn't work for me in the movie is how little of Bella we get, yeah, and that to me detracts from their relationship in a way that the sort of correction of the power dynamic doesn't doesn't it doesn't even out for me but Mm -hmm. i can see your point and i i I understand i respect it i get it i get it shelby was really the only one who went to bat for the movie so that was cool yeah we appreciate it thank you everybody who had stuff to say uh we love when you do that we got four five four more of them to do yep movies five more four more it's five total movies right Four yes. books, five movies. Four <laughs> yeah. books, five movies. Because the last one is a, a, a two-parter. So we have four more movies. Yeah. Yeah. So you have plenty of time to weigh in on Twilight uh, <laughs> in the future, but we appreciate everybody who waited on this first one. We're going to move on now and learn some things. We're doing a movie and a, uh, based on a book this week by the author James Baldwin, so we're going to learn a little bit about the man, the myth, the legend, James Baldwin. No matter what anybody tells you, Words and ideas can change the world. So I thought this would be, a, that James Baldwin would be a good topic for our Learning Things segment. Um, because, as we well know, American schools yeah. at least tend to really skip over black authors. Had never heard of them until probably college. Yeah. I am fairly certain, I could be misremembering, Fairly certain I read at least one of his short stories, but definitely not until college. And never learned anything about him as a person. Yeah. No, definitely not that. And I, I may be misremembering. There's a chance that I read a short story, you know, that I re- mm-hmm. read something. Because my, my school actually had a fairly diverse, from my memory, like, reading catalog. Mm-hmm. We, I, I, it was a diverse high school, and we had a fairly diverse um, uh teacher like the teachers were fairly diverse and so and our curriculum was from my memory fairly diverse but i don't recall the name james well i don't remember knowing who he was until like college but yeah my high school was not diverse. <laughs> <laughs> i was actually i went to a high school where uh my i believe my senior year uh there were more black kids than white kids maybe something like that it was very close it was like 40 48 47 or something like that it like right on the edge. It was very yeah. That was we were, not the case. In my yeah, house. <laughs> not yeah. The case. Um, but yeah, this was definitely not an author that I encountered until college, um, and even then, I didn't read any like to any extent. Yeah, and even like I've been thinking back like on my college literature classes lately with like various conversations right. that have been going on. Um, <laughs> this is not very diverse. No, um, no, not not super great. No. Um, well, but, it's, it's uh, unfortunate because you have to go out of your way to build yeah. a curriculum to because of the the sort of systemic and 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 just eternal sort of uh, backseating of any sort of yeah. uh, authors of color or anything like that. It, you it really isn't. You know, it's very easy to build a, to look at somebody else's curriculum and build a curriculum. Based, I say this as somebody who's not a teacher, but I would imagine, uh, based on somebody's other, you know, uh, sort of the curriculums that have come before, and those generally, yeah, 
focused on white authors. Yeah. So it's easy, you know, it just perpetuates itself. Yeah, and textbooks, too, are another part of that. Yeah. It's a hard sell to get your school to buy a new, more diverse yeah. textbook. Uh, and then the textbook thing gets even more complicated, because at least back in the day, it was the thing where, like, Texas was responsible for, like, all of the textbooks because like they would it was a weird thing where like the textbooks that were made in texas for texas schools ended up getting distributed to like everywhere because of the nature of the publication system and it was was this whole thing i remember reading about years ago about how the the public school textbook system is really weird and like counterintuitive and doesn't isn't isn't great um but yeah anyways anyway um so i thought it would be good if we learned a little bit about James Baldwin. So James Baldwin uh, was an American novelist, playwright, essayist, poet, and activist. Mm -hmm. Many different hats. Um, A little bit about his childhood. Um, His mother left his biological father before he was born. They moved to Harlem where she married a Baptist preacher. Um, Those two had eight kids and his stepfather also had a son from a previous marriage for a grand total of ten kids which is a lot today, but probably not that impressive in the 1930s. Uh, it's probably like average. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> average, but yeah, it's not. Yeah. Uh, Baldwin's stepfather, whom in essays he referred to just as his father, um, treated him supposedly more harshly than the other children, uh, which resulted in Baldwin spending a lot of his time alone in libraries. Hashtag relatable. <laughs> And like many of us who grew up hiding in libraries, um, it wasn't long before Baldwin started writing his own stuff. And at the age of 13, he wrote his first article titled Harlem, Then and Now, and it was published in his school's magazine, The Douglas Pilot. Um, After his father died, Baldwin devoted himself to writing a novel, that was his goal, and took odd jobs to support himself. He later befriended another um, well-known American writer, Richard Wright, and through Wright, he was able to get a fellowship in 1945 to cover his living expenses, Um, and at that point, he was able to start getting essays and short stories published in national periodicals, which is kind of like your first writerly step to publication. Um, But like a lot of people, he was disillusioned by... Americans' treatment of black people. Mm. He also wanted to see himself and his writing outside of an African-American context, so he actually ended up leaving the United States in 1948 and went to live in France for a while. Um, And that shift in location freed him up to write more about his personal and racial background. Um, He is quoted as saying, Once I found myself on the other side of the ocean, I see where I came from very clearly. I am the grandson of a slave, and I am a writer. I must deal with both. Um, So, you know, I think that's kind of relatable as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a little bit of distance from a situation, I think, can help you see it clearly. Um, So I think that, like, move to France really kicked off his... Um, career in 1953 his first novel go tell it on the mountain um, which was semi-autobiographical was published his first collection of essays notes of a native son came out two years later and he continued to experiment with literary forms throughout his career he published poetry plays fiction um, essays fiction and essays are probably 
what he's most well yeah. known for at this point. But oh, he, at this point, yeah. he really didn't limit himself yeah. to a particular genre. Um, his second novel, Giovanni's Room, actually caused quite a bit of controversy, but of a stir when it was first published in 1956 due to its explicit homoerotic content. Mm-hmm. Um, He returned to the United States shortly after that in 1957, um, just in time for the civil rights movement to really start heating up. Um, He was openly critical of politicians during the civil rights movement, blaming them for refusing to act. Nonetheless, though, he actually rejected the label civil rights activist or that he even participated in the civil rights movement um, and agreed with Malcolm X's assertion that if one is a citizen, one should not have to fight for one's civil rights. Um, And in a 1979 speech at UC Berkeley, he called the civil rights movement instead the latest slave rebellion, um, which is a really powerful way of putting it, (laughs) in my opinion. So Baldwin died of stomach cancer, 1987, um, again, while living in France. Uh, He left behind an unfinished memoir manuscript, Remember This House, which was later adapted into the 2016 film, I Am Not Your Negro. He was a gay black man, and he was a fucking boss. (laughs) I got super overwhelmed writing this segment because he did so much cool shit that I had no idea how to boil this down into, like, the kind of length of segment that we usually present. Um, Because, you know, this is learning things segment. It's not, like, a lesson. No. It's, it's not a 40 minute. Yeah, it's not lesson. a 40 it's, minute it's a like 10 minute, 15 minute detailed. Sort of yeah, it's a segment in our primer 30 minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I was just like, I even messaged you a couple times. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I'm going to boil this down. Yeah. I don't know what to include and what <laughs> not to include. So here's a couple other cool things about James Baldwin that I wanted to talk about, but I was just like struggling <laughs> with where to fit them into my overview. Um, In 1948, James Baldwin walked into a restaurant where he knew he would be denied service. When the waitress explained to him that black people were not served there, Baldwin threw a glass of water at her. (laughs) Yep. Um, He once visited Elijah Muhammad, um, who at the time was the leader of the Nation of Islam. Um, Elijah inquired about Baldwin's religious beliefs, to which Baldwin answered, I left the church 20 years ago and haven't joined anything since. Um, When Elijah further asked, what are you now? Baldwin said, now? Nothing. I'm a writer. I like doing things alone. Yeah, I saw that. I was doing some looking today, and I saw that line. I was like, I love that. That's great. Um, (laughs) Nothing. I'm a writer. (laughs) He was also openly critical of Christianity and has accused it of reinforcing the system of American slavery. Yeah. I thought uh, he had a line or another quote that I thought was really powerful, which was, um, uh, if the concept of God has any use, it is to make us larger, freer, and more loving. If God can't do that, it's time we got rid of him. I mean, that's pretty dope. (laughs) (laughs) James Baldwin was personal friends with um, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr. He was also friends with Josephine Baker, Miles Davis, and Ray Charles. He was also friends with Marlon Brando, and the two were roommates for a time when they were younger. Yeah. Um, So kind of like the definition of, like, surround yourself with cool people. Yeah, and he, uh, Marlon Brando, was... 
at least somewhat a part of the civil rights movement, I think, and probably in no small part because of his mm-hmm. friendship with um, Oh, I'm sure, James yeah. Baldwin. There are pictures of them, like, at marches and stuff together. And speaking of the civil rights movement, James Baldwin was one of only two known gay men, the other being um, Bayard Rustin, who were involved with the civil rights movement. This was, in court, of course, pre-Stonewall. Right. And there was a lot of homophobia within civil rights groups at the time. So I'm sure that took no small amount yeah. of guts. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of homophobia everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so the civil rights groups were just no different at that time, yeah. And my final fun fact here, I love this. James Baldwin, like many at the time... Has an FBI file. Yep. And his FBI file contains 1,884 individual pages of documents. Because he was a boss. That's got to be the... If there's, like, a cool person heaven, that's the score sheet (laughs) for how you get in. How many pages? How many pages did the FBI have on you? (laughs) (laughs) Now, obviously, there's that can be abused, but like, if you were if you weren't an active like actual criminal, but the FBI had pages on you know like I don't know yeah 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 that's really yeah he's a fascinating character uh, or person I've always like I said I think I mentioned in the last week or something that I've seen him videos of him speaking and stuff and it was always just incredibly compelling and just was kind of blown away whenever I heard him talk, especially because he does, he always struck me from what I've seen of him as as a uh, kind of a person like a Mark Twain or something who's transcends the time period they're in, in like Mm -hmm. a weird way and is like way far ahead of like, in in a lot of, obviously not every way, but in a lot of ways uh, ahead of the sort of cultural Mm -hmm. zeitgeist basically. I'm sure they'll make a movie about his life. Maybe they have made a movie That's about what his I life. was thinking. Oh, well, I, I didn't see it because I checked on his Wikipedia page. I didn't see that there was a movie well, about his life. Well, the memoir, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, like, kind of. Yeah, the I Am Not Your Negro. But I, I've a, never seen that, based so I'm on not a memoir. for sure. So who knows how, but memoirs can be weird. Like, I yeah. don't know if they, yeah. Interesting. But... I really think there should be. Yeah, a movie there definitely about should be. Life. There definitely should be. It would be a fascinating film for sure. All right, that was it for our learning things segment. Let's go ahead and do some book facts about if Beale Street could talk. You ready for this? I've never been more ready for anything in my whole life. You know I love you, no matter what happens. You and me all the time. Honey, there's something I gotta tell you. I kept my book facts a little bit shorter since there was so much stuff in the learning thing segment that I wanted to get through. Um, so I didn't really like go digging, digging yeah, like did, I, I mean, need to the, do sometimes. A lot of well, because a lot of times the the author is part of the book facts, so you did. Yeah, so. that's true. So um, if Beale Street could talk is a 1974 novel, of course, by James Baldwin. It was his fifth novel and his thirteenth book overall. The man just wrote like a motherfucker. Prolific. <laughs> 
Um, although the story is set in Harlem, the title is a reference to the 1916 W.C. Handy Blues song, Beale Street Blues, which, of course, is named for Beale Street in Memphis, Tennessee. I've been there. Have you? I've been to Memphis. I guess we probably... I don't know. I don't I mean, really remember. When I say I've been there, I mean, I've been... like I was like, oh, there's Beale Street. Like, I didn't, like take a tour and you know yeah. I, mean, I didn't like go well, to all know. the cool we, spots or anything we went to memphis when i was like 14 i have very few memories of it i've actually blocked a lot of it <laughs> yeah. um i would love to go back yeah um so I, I assume we probably went to beale street i don't know for sure but i have been to memphis um but anyway this was baldwin's first novel to focus exclusively on a black love story it's also his only novel that's narrated by a woman Reviewing the novel in uh, the New York Times in 1974, novelist uh, Joyce Carol Oates described the book as a moving, painful story, but ultimately optimistic. Um, critic, um, oh, how do I say this? Anatoly. Name? Anatoly. Probably. Broyard? Broyard. Anatoly Broyard. Sounds um, French to me. Or not French. Um, uh, Italian. Italian. Yeah. Um, who was also writing for the New York Times was a little less complimentary, calling the novel a sentimental love story. It could make it equally well as a, quote, gothic novel, sending thrills of synthetic terror down the spine. Okay. <laughs> um, and when Baldwin spoke to Hugh Hebert of The Guardian upon the release of Beale Street in 1974, He's quoted as saying about his work, every poet is an optimist, but on the way to that optimism, you have to reach a certain level of despair to deal with your life at all. Which I think is true. Yeah. Uh, just to clarify, Anatoly Broyard, Broyard uh, it's, which makes sense, it's Creole. Oh. He's, he's mixed race Creole. Okay. And yeah, it sounds, because the French, the Broyard is very French. Yeah. Um, and then, but Anatoly sounds vaguely italian yeah it's probably not it's actually probably it's, anyways yeah <laughs> yeah uh, creole apparently so there you go all right those are your book facts for if beale street could talk let's go ahead and talk about the movie these are our children and we gotta set them free remember love is what brought you here and if you trusted love this far If Beale Street Could Talk is a 2018 film directed and written by Barry Jenkins, uh, most known for Moonlight, uh, but also a writer and director of a film called Medicine for Melancholy was his first movie. The, uh, the film stars Kiki Lane, Stephen James, Coleman Domingo, uh, Tiana Paris, Michael Beach, Dave Franco is in it apparently, uh, Diego Luna, Pedro Pascal, Ed Screen, Brian Tyree Henry, and Regina King. Uh, Barry Jenkins wrote the screenplay in 2013 at the same time that he was writing Moonlight, apparently. Hmm. The film is rated 95% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. This is the critical reception here. Regina King won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, and the film was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and Original Score at the Oscars that year. It was also awarded 
Best Supporting Actress for King and Best Independent Film by the African American Film Critics Association. The American Film Institute named it one of the top 10 films of 2018. Regina King also won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress, and the film was nominated for the Golden Globes for Best Motion Picture, Motion Picture Drama and Best Screenplay. So, uh, and, and there was countless other. There was hundreds. Yeah. It was nominated for all kinds of awards. And I remember, I remember that year in the awards seeing it nominated a bunch, and I didn't know what it was at the time. Uh, so Barry Jenkins and cinematographer James Laxton uh, used the work of famous photographer and artist uh, Roy De Cara- Roy De Carava, probably as inspiration for the lighting in the film. And so if you look up some art by Roy De, De Carava, he received critical acclaim for his uh, photography of African-Americans and jazz musician, musicians in the communities that he lived in. I think he lived specifically in like New York and Harlem mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, but he was considered a pioneer of black and white fine art photography. And his stuff is really cool looking. I'd never heard of him. Uh, <laughs> I, again, I took a bunch of photography, uh, a fair number of photography classes and uh, film classes. Never heard of this guy. But yeah, uh, his stuff's really cool looking, very stark. It's a uh, very sort of, um, film noir is not the right way to describe it, but lots of just very stark shadows. Uh, the black, the, the, the black in the, in the picture is, it's not even like dark and light. It's like just full out black, like completely not exposed. And then like stark white, it's, it's very striking and very cool looking stuff. If you look up Roy de Carava. You'll you'll see it, and it's very very cool. Uh, well, maybe we'll post some. But um, apparently that that was the inspiration they drew for the sort of the visual style of the lighting for this film. So you can look out for that. That was all I had because there's literally was like nothing. I was like searching around. I even like started googling like behind the scenes articles and stuff because mm-hmm. IMDb had four trivia facts, and like two of them weren't anything, <laughs> <laughs> and then one of them was the one about the the photographer. And then Wikipedia's production section was, like, four sentences. And it was, like, nothing. It was all, yeah. like, who worked on the movie and when they shot. <laughs> so I was like, all right. Um, and But I, I did go watch some behind-the-scenes clips of when they were filming it, which looked, was interesting. All right, that's all I had for uh, Beale Street Could Talk Movie Facts. We do have one more thing. We're going to start doing this. We've been meaning to do this forever, and we occasionally kind of do. But we're going to formalize it. Where do you watch this if you're listening? You want to know where to watch it? Hulu. This week, you can watch If Beale Street Could Talk. If you have a subscription to Hulu, it is available there as part of your subscription. If you do not have a subscription to Hulu, first I would recommend trying to check out your local library. uh, See if they have it always. That's always a good first place. Um, If you can, if they're not closed, if you can do it safely, all that sort of stuff. Obviously still with the... Uh, pandemic going on um but if your library doesn't have it it's four dollars to rent on amazon prime youtube voodoo pretty much any of the like streaming rental services mm-hmm. it's four bucks on but if you have hulu you can watch it for free well as part of your monthly <laughs> yeah. subscription yeah so there you go i'm excited uh i haven't seen moonlight either i it's mm-hmm. been on my list on hulu for because it's on hulu too i think yeah it's been on my list or it might be on netflix as well i don't know but it's been on my list forever i just never I know it's not like a fun movie, so it's always it's one of those things where it's like, uh, I gotta prepare myself to watch this as opposed to just I need to watch it. We need to watch it because Moonlight's supposed to be incredible. We have a terrifying list of movies. We need hey, to watch. A lot of things, but Moonlight's one of those. Um, and because I, I think Moonlight, obviously, slightly more cl- critical acclaim. I mean, it wasn't best picture, but that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean anything. Um, I am really interested to see because I haven't seen anything Barry Jenkins has done 
this will be the first one so I'm, I'm i'm really interested to see and then I'm, i think it'll probably spur us on to why actually watch moonlight finally so. am i correct in recalling did if beale street could talk did this lose to green book oh god did it was well it wasn't this... nominated it wasn't not nom- well maybe the golden globes was this the same year this was the same year as green book right <sighs> Yeah, it was. Motherfucker. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, well, maybe it... It might have lost the Golden Globe to Green Book, which that would be... Because it was... So it wasn't nominated... It wasn't even nominated for Best Picture, which Green Book won. Right, at the Oscars. Yeah, at the Oscars. Yeah. But at the Golden Globes, yes. Oh, well, okay, so technically it didn't lose to this at the Golden Globes because this was in musical or comedy section, or Green Book was in the musical or comedy oh. section, So the and, and, and mm. this was in the drama one. You know how they have the two best picture yeah. categories at the Golden Globes? So it didn't lose to it, but it did lose for best screenplay to Green Book, so... <laughs> <That's>... I haven't <laughs> seen Green Book. I haven't I don't either. really intend to. No. But... By all I accounts... Didn't... It being in the musical or comedy section, I feel like does not jive with what I have heard about it, Green Book. It has a much more, I think it has a much more comical overall, like it has more like humorous scenes, huh. I think. Like it has a lot of like, look at these two, look at this, this, <laughs> this racist guy being friends with this black guy. Look, <laughs> look at, at these, their hijinks. Look at these unlikely friends. <laughs> yeah, it's like their hijinks type of thing. You know, it's almost oh, like a boy. buddy cop like I, would be my guess. I don't know. I haven't seen it, and again, don't really intend to, uh, based on everything I've heard about it. But yeah, that is woof. That is rough. Yeah. Again, not having seen this movie or the other one, but it, it seems potentially very rough uh, to be like. It's very. It's very Academy Awards to give. Isn't it though? Green Book the Oscar, and then not even nominate a, a movie written by three white guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> Versus a movie written and directed by a black man based on a book by a black man. You know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, until next time, guys, gals, non binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.